Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Silence from live, the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. As you look out the window here, the sun just has gone down on this beautiful Palm Sunday. I'm just kind of looking out to see what kind of traffic uh, here at the medical center. There must be a party someplace because there's no traffic out there whatsoever. But it's great to have you with us tonight. And if you want to get involved with our guest tonight and uh, call in, TJ at the BBS radio station will just answer that phone in a lovely radio voice and pat you right into us. And that number would be 888-627-6008. And my awesome son, Curtis, uh, the youngest of my three uh, that's in the Army in Seattle, Washington, he is running the Facebook uh, page, uh, Shattered by the Darkness Facebook. We're live on there. And if you have a comment there, feel free to do that. And he'll let us know if there's a comment or a question that you'd like for us to have uh, our guest answer or comment on. Uh, the next probably four to six weeks, we have probably some of the best guests we've ever had on the program. We've had some wonderful guests in the last few weeks. It's just a real good time right now for some great authors, great experts coming on, professionals to talk about what they are passionate about, what they know about, they're knowledgeable tonight. About And tonight's guest is no different. And uh, it's amazing how I, I look at it as divine interventions, divine appointments. Uh, a lot of people say, I just happened to bump into this person, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But I don't think there's any happenstances. I think there's a reason you meet the people you do and you come across people that you do. You know, before we bring our guest in tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, what I always like to talk about something that's going on in my life for at least – um, that I'm dealing with or battling with just to see if it helps you get along in your week a little bit better coming into this uh, Easter week for you. And it seems like recently I have met so many people uh, in the human trafficking uh, training programs that I've been doing with doctors and dentists around the, uh, the state of Texas. But there's so many people that seem like they have such high expectation but very little or very low on their patients. And let me tell you that high expectation, low patience is a recipe for failure. It's a recipe for disappointment, whether it's in business or music, like playing the piano, fitness, or even building a relationship. It starts with the first 
step and only grows with little steps after that. And without bursting anybody's bubble, there is no autopilot for this. It's up to you. Um, I, I've reached the level that I'm at with no matter what I'm doing with business or being an author or like this, even this radio program with little bitty baby steps. And you start building a following. You start building an audience. You start building people that want to come on your program. And it grows after each step. But I'm nowhere close where I want to be, where my aspirations are going to take me. Uh, I, I plan on having higher dreams than what I'm doing now by far. But it's only going to happen with small little steps that I'm taking this year, this month, this week, today, and this very moment. So no matter where you're at in life, you have to take a little step and keep taking those little steps, and it'll get you where you eventually want to get to. Maturity and patience come with time. And with that time also comes the realization that it isn't much time to make those things happen. We tend to put things off because, let me be honest, we're scared. We have fear. Scared of what? But whatever our imagination can create that is going to keep us from taking that step. And we all have that fear. And the fear that prevents us from taking the steps are only conquered by taking the steps. Buildings are built brick by brick. Uh, poems are written word by word. Beautiful music is written note I know. And relationships grow day by day. It's a journey that's the important thing, not necessarily the destination. And the destination for all of us, let's be honest, without being crude and rude and socially unacceptable here, is death. That's our <laughs> ultimate destination. Our credits are going to soon be rolling at the very end of our film of life. Uh, and that's we're all going to be destined to that. And all that will matter is what happened with every step before you take that last breath. If you take any at all. But it's never too late to start building the life that you've dreamed of right now break out of the comfort zone and start making advancements. And it doesn't have to be leaps and bounds. Small steps get you to destinations. Slow progress is much better than no progress at all. Tonight we're going to be talking about some things that may make you feel uncomfortable to be involved in. But that process of uncomfortableness and releasing into the scientific research will be a huge step for you. Patience is the calm assurance that things can happen in a different order that can 
happen in a different order than the one that you already have placed in your mind. It's okay to get out of order. You have to have patience to be able to do that. So go ahead and take the step and get to the place where you're hoping and dreaming and only you can make that choice. The destination's up to you. Throw that in this week. See how your Monday starts off with trying to take a step in the direction to the goal that you want. Because if you have a goal in life and you never head that direction, you never face that direction, you never take a step in that direction, congratulations, you're never going to get there. One step at a time. One day, one moment. And we can do that this week. Starting right now. Right now. We have an awesome guest tonight. Mary J.D. Michelle is with us tonight. And she is the creator. And listen to this. Of one rule improv, a research-based and trauma-informed, and anybody that's listening to the show knows that this whole world will eventually know trauma-informed, and that'll be everybody's middle name in every organization and office that you work at. And it has an accessible approach, Mary does, to learning, teaching, and applying improv so people can bring the benefits of improv that probably 99.9% of us have never been involved in, but we can take the benefits of that if we just get involved in, into our lives quickly and easily. And she has written two books. I've read one of those books, and it's just awesome. Uh, The two books is One Rule Improv, The Fast, Easy, No Fear Approach to Teaching, Learning, and Applying Improv, and Improv, Inc., Overcoming, I don't know what to write. She's a certified academic and special needs teacher. She has so many accolades and uh, letters behind her name and certificates hanging on her wall that I'm going to let her tell you more about herself. But welcome to the program, Mary. Can you hear me tonight? I can. Can you hear me, Greg? Yes. And everything looks awesome right there. I love your back wall there. And uh, fantastic. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we're, we met in Houston, mm-hmm. and I believe I was like I always am, two or three hours early for a presentation. You had mm-hmm. just done what I believe the, the day before, or maybe earlier that morning. Right. And you came over to the table and just said, hey, what are you doing here? Yep. And we, got, we started talking. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. It was great. And I love when you handed me your business card and I handed you mine and we just said, hey, what do you do? And we found out about it. And I said, I would love to know more about this. Because to be honest with you, um, the only thing I know about improv is mm-hmm. that comedy shows and right. whose line is it anyway. And they probably have made improv more uh, popular than anybody. That TV show with Drew Carey years ago, mm-hmm. and I think Wayne Brady and some of those guys. Yep. But tell me a little bit about yourself, what you're passionate about, what you do. And uh, then I want to get into this improv and really have a good time tonight. Okay, but first you want to hear about me, huh? Well, sure I do. (laughs) Why not? Um, I I think what I'm most passionate is about about is helping people, creating experiences, helping people feel as comfortable as possible so they can feel their best selves. Um, I do... I teach people improv. Um, I used to perform improv regularly. Um, 
currently um, I do a lot of trainings, but I also do theater too. But even within that experience, I remember when I started, we have uh, this really neat show and it's interactive with the audience, but it's also immersive. So the audience, a lot of times in theater, there's a fourth wall, right? Where you don't break it. Okay. We have our reality and people passively watch it. But in this theatrical show, which is a full-length show, they become part of our world. And in order to do that, you have to create, like when I first joined, the, some of the other actors were like, you know, sometimes you have a good audience and a bad audience. You know, sometimes they're into it and sometimes they're not. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's our responsibility. You know, so what I love to bring into any type of experience like that or even trainings is creating an environment where people feel comfortable and accept it. So they become involved in a way that they're always feeling safe and secure and accepted. That It's never pushing people out of their comfort zone, you know, pulling them to be zany and strong, getting in their face to get a reaction. It's, it's allowing them to feel comfortable enough to engage. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot that goes into that. And sometimes it's just being present and listening to them and being aware. Um, but in, I, in our world, is that an issue that people don't listen anymore? No, I don't. I think right now there's so many. I think we're living in this world of just memes that if we see it and we write it in a meme that we do it and. I don't, I feel that we want to, we want to listen. We want to be curious. We want to be empathetic. We, we want to seek to understand. We want to unconditionally accept, but putting that in the practice is another thing. And I think right now we're in a world having come through the pandemic and, and just life in general, you know, and everyone else's individual life journey that, so many of us or all of us are screaming for ourselves to be felt, to be heard, that they forget that those words, those phrases of seeking to understand and unconditionally accepting is you doing that to someone else, not demanding it's only done for you. You know, understand me now. And if you don't, you're a hater. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's that's. That's not what we mean. And that's not what we need. I understand that people are screaming to be heard, but we have to listen to each other. So there's someone to hear us too. It's reciprocal. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's the beauty of improv. And I know we'll talk about that in a moment, um, but that's really the beauty of it, that it's a reciprocal practice in listening and unconditionally accepting is there is our world becoming so many voices? There's so much stuff thrown at us that it's hard for me at times to focus eyeball to eyeball, especially when the one person's doing this. Yeah. And does things like this cut off our communication? I I think we live in a, a funny, 
odd time where for the first time in human history, we are connected 24-7, and yet we're not actually connecting at all. You know, the tools there, the potentials there, but we're actually not connected, you know, and our brain isn't actually connecting the way it should be. So we feel connected. I mean, you, you know, it's, I think, I know a, a person had said this, I know someone turned it into a meme, but, you know, going back to the whole thing about, um, you know, we're, we are naturally wired for connection. Our brains are wired for connection. And then through trauma, we become wired for protection. And I think although we are now wired 24-7 to each other, we are so protected. It's um, We have a false sense of connection. And I think that's evident by the fact that we live in a world that is insanely polarized. Yeah. You know, people just aren't listening and feel, seeing the humanity um, when, the way they could be. When trauma becomes an issue yeah. with a person like me and maybe like you, I don't know. Um, does it automatically clip that communication, those connections? I, I self inflict cutting communication and I start isolating myself because if I let somebody else in my world again, right. I'm going to get hurt again. Is that can improv can the studies that you've researched on and, and been a part of, do you see a different level of people that when traumatized, it's harder for them to get involved because they have that border, that wall up? Yes, um, absolutely. I, I mean, did I get feedback? No, I'm good. No, you're okay. fine. All right. Um you know, you know, uh, you know, trauma can, you know, put the brain offline, so to speak. You know, we go into that fight, flight, freeze, please, um, that you're not going to be connecting. You are protecting yourself. You, you're either hiding or pushing them away or showing them what you th they think you think that they want from you. Just this again, be in control and push them away. Yeah. Um, and what we saw with the neurobiological research um, in a study that I co-authored recently that that um, improv did within moments increase the functional connectivity of the brain, the prefrontal. So it shifted from that fear based brain into the prefrontal, activating those sections, but not just activating, actually improving how those sections of the brain communicate with each other. And you would think faster communication meant great, faster thoughts. But improv slowed the communication down so it became more effective. Because sometimes if the, if the sections of the brain are communicating too quickly, it's like people yelling over each other. Okay? And they can't understand what's actually going on. And what also we saw, we saw that the part of the brain that understands nonverbal communication lit up, which is wow. huge. Because so often, um, especially those who've suffered the, the effects of trauma, they struggle with understanding nonverbal. Everything's a threat. Everything is an insult. You know, you know, um, everything's going to start a fight. But now they're 
getting a better understanding of what is being communicated to them verbally, emotionally, non-verbally. And um, one thing you said going into this was about, um, you know, wanting to protect yourself. And oftentimes people will try, we have the mirror neuron system, right? Which is the way, you know, we, we learn by watching, we feel, you know, by watching, right? Um, and those who've been in, say, abusive or neglectful relationships, that kind of quiets down or turns off because you don't want to be learning in that type of relationship to, to protect yourself. The mirror neuron system kind of turns off, right? Improv turns it back on. So now the person can feel again and can actually have the capacity to feel and express empathy. Wow. So what we saw neurobiologically about improv um, is really exciting and the study that we did um, was with teenagers who um, were living in a residential facility and had a minimum of five different mental health diagnoses, you know, ranging from, you know, relational anxiety, depression, um, learning disabilities, um, aggressiveness, um, and so on. I mean, um, even, um, somewhere on the spectrum. So but improv was caused them or gave them a, a pathway of connecting within moments. What it does is it rebalances the nervous system. It puts them into that window of tolerance whether they are wanting to hide or stay in bed, whether they're about to put their hand through a wall because they're feeling that aggressive or that violent, within moments, they are connecting. They are making eye contact. They are smiling. They are laughing. Not at anyone. That's the beauty about improv. The laughter is coming from the shared experience. So yes, it brings them into their best self. Anyone who's done improv has viscerally feel, felt this themselves. When you do improv, you leave feeling energized and happy, no matter what state you walked into, walked in, in. You know, you might have been exhausted, angry, stressed out, just in a bad mood. And within moments, your mental state shifts. And I mean, people feel that. And uh, I felt that. So when I had the opportunity to look at what the brain is actually doing, and then we got to see that, that was just tremendously exciting. Um, well, well for, for people like me, even though I, I just read your book, um, everybody may be going improv, in, improv. Yeah. And what, explain to us what you even mean by improv. What, what, actually is that okay when i say improv and um i am speaking specifically about short form comedy theatrical improv which are those one to three minute long games you would see performed by an improv troupe on stage or by whose line is it anyway okay I'm not talking about general improvisation. I improvise all day long. I improvise on my job. That's great. That's awesome. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm not talking about improvisational role-playing, okay? Also wonderful tool, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those very short games. Are Okay. Um, sorry, do you, do you hearing any background noise? The oh. air just went on. Okay, good. So for instance, let's just play one. Okay, okay, let's okay. do it. Yeah. So um, we are going to, um, we'll plan a party for a type of pet. What type of pet mm-hmm. should we plan? A pet. Pets, uh, oh, dogs. Okay, we're going to plan a party for dogs. Party. For a dog. So you're going to start, you'll say, let's plan a birthday party for a dog. And then I'm going to make an offer. And I'm going to start with the words, yes, and. So I'll say, yes, and I'll give an idea. And then you reciprocate by accepting my idea. And you say, yes, and then you add your idea. And we're just going to go back and forth. Okay. Now, are we looking for humor? No. Okay, so humor is not doesn't have to be in there. It's just a continuation of the thought process to get us to the end of having a complete absolutely scenario. play okay. it as you know. Mary, I, I would I, love to have a party for dogs, a birthday party, or let's, let's just have a a summer party for dogs. Yes, and we could have a cake in the shape of a dog biscuit. Yes, and we can have at each place setting maybe uh, a dog bowl so they all have their own bowl to be able to eat that cake out of. Yes, and oh, next to the bowl, we can have a, a goodie bag for the dogs. Yes, and in that goodie bag, we can have bones, we can have snacks and treats, and we'll just get the, the dogs so happy to be able to accept that. Yes, and um, we can play pin the tail on the cat. Yes, that'd be fun. And and we could have dog hats. Each dog could have a hat on. Yes. And, oh, they can get their own little fire hydrant to take with them, too. Now, that's awesome. Now, okay, so so what just happened up here while we were doing that? And how long do you let this go before you go, okay, or until we run out of ideas? I usually cut it a little bit before that. You actually cut it at the time I would have cut it too and just say thank oh, okay. you. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah. Oh, so it would have um, been shorter than that in your. It could have been. Exercise. Or that was a really nice length, or depending on how many people. Um, it just sort of, you just feel it. Um, you try and end on a, an energized note, maybe a high note, maybe a great idea, maybe some laughter. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, ending it, that was fine. And we didn't try to be funny, right? And yet we were laughing a little bit. We were smiling um, because we were connecting. So what's happening in the brain? That was your question. Yes. Yeah. What's going on that is like, okay, that was kind of fun. Uh, some people will be uncomfortable with that. And I want to get to that too, maybe. But what what's going on up there when I hear you and you hear me and we're acknowledging each other? All right. God, I have so many directions to go in. Um, I love this though because this is this is all new. This is all new horizon for me, and for all of us probably. Now, know. did you feel uncomfortable? No, but I can talk to a doorknob. No, <laughs> but it's not uncomfortable with this approach, okay? Because okay. we are focusing only on one rule, right? We're not focusing on getting out of our comfort zone. We're not playing characters. We're not acting. We're not 
Um, I'm not asking you to be witty or stand by yourself. We're focusing on one rule. Yes, I unconditionally accept your offer and I value it so much, I'm going to add my own to it, right? So in every moment, we are um, positively affirming each other, right? We're supportive. Whatever you say, I was going to say yes and write back. So that creates a very safe relationship very quickly between us that can allow us to shift in that that prefrontal right but the magic is in the and because the and instigates just enough uncertainty to make us pay attention to the other person not what we're worried about not us being on the spot okay there are plenty of facilitators out there and improv is taught in a very scary way by lots of well-intended people because they put you on the spot to stand by yourself and be witty in some of the games. You and I are supporting each other at every moment. I'm focused on you. You're focused on me, which means we're not locking up ourselves. The um, fMRI research that came out with Dr. Charles Lim in 2008 what he saw, and he saw it when he did research, he did fMRI scans on musicians, rap artists, jazz musicians, rap artists, and um, improvisers. And he said he saw the same thing in each one, that the medial prefrontal activates. That's the part of the brain where we're in the zone. We're going. We feel our best. We perform our best. We're in flow state. He calls it the, um, the neurological signature of flow state. And the dorsolateral prefrontal quiets down. That's where we judge ourselves. It doesn't turn off. You're not without judgment doing improv, but it quiets down. So you weren't thinking, am I doing this right? Is that a dumb idea? Should I say this? Was that okay? You're strictly focused on accepting my idea and adding to it. So go ahead. You have a thought? No, no, no. I is it always just between two people or can we have a group of people and go around the circle or can I toss it to a person across in if there's a four or five people group or is it just between two? No, no, no. So the beauty of improv is there are so many different game structure variations, right? It could be two people. It could be 20. It could be four. There's all kinds of different game structures and scenarios to play out, right? But here's the beauty. We could play a very simple game like this, or, you know, we can play a couple more. And we're going to get the same benefits from this game as the professionals on whose line is it anyway, playing a, a game worthy of, you know, with all the acting skills as well, because we are yes anding, because we are following that one rule. That is the access to the brain. That is what is bringing the nervous system in the balance. And through that, you know, um, you and I just experienced it. We created yeah. a very supportive, a very trauma-informed relationship between each other very quickly. It's safe. It's secure. It's fun. We have autonomy, too, because we're, you know, expressing our own. Um, oh, goodness. Remember? Malcolm Gladwell, he came out with a book. He talked about the 10,000 hours 
to get me down. Right? So here's the beauty about improv. Because you're bringing yourself to that game, right? You don't need 10,000 hours of expert training to achieve flow state. I worked... And um, I, I've worked in different schools and different residential facilities. And I had a student one time and he said, he was a really quiet kid and he, he loved improv and he was good. And he said one time, he goes, I get the same high playing improv I do playing video games. And he was in there for that addiction. Wow. But he identified that state of flow. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And. We have to take our commercial break. <laughs> on the other side, on the other side of this break, I want to find out if that yes and is that one rule where you got, and we're going to talk more about that and how you discovered that, and where can we get the most benefit from this? Okay. Uh, can we use it in counseling? And we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. 888-627-6008. Call us or get on Facebook and uh Pass on to their comment or question. We'll be right back with Mary after this little, little short commercial break. Hang with us. From HCI Publishing, that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It. And the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. We have Mary uh, DeMichelle with us tonight. And where, where are you at, Mary? What state are you in? I am in Missouri. In Missouri? Well, that's my stomach grounds. Yes. Okay. Well, oh, what, without saying exactly what town, but what, what area are you in? Central. Central Missouri. Oh, fantastic. I think we did talk about that at the uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Columbia area, and I was in that area. area yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, tell me. How in the world did you stumble onto this? Um, and where did you come up with the idea, the research of saying, you know, this can be life-changing if it's done properly? How did that come to mind? Was that a God-given thing or uh, just research? How, how did you peel back that onion into this, in the depth of this? Oh, that That's basically peeling back that onion was kind of how I personally felt doing improv, class after class show after show, you always felt like I have arrived. I have no inhibitions. I can just go. And you'd get into a new game structure. And it was like, oh, and there's an onion again. <laughs> um, 
I had, uh, I, I had become a teacher. I taught in the United States, um, uh, Jersey City. I taught in Europe. I went back to Jersey City when I came home from Europe. And then I had always wanted to act, okay? I'm not an, a natural extrovert of like, I need to be the center of attention. I want to be in the middle of the circle. But I was always curious about the craft of it, right? So it was the mid-90s. This is before Whose Line was even on TV. And then part of acting training, after you did a few levels um, of coursework, they said all actors need to learn how to improvise because stuff happens and you have to accept it and move on. And, you know, within a scene, if something goes awry. And um, I started taking improv classes. And it was horrifying. I still remember the first exercise of the first class because it was stand in the middle of the circle and act something out. And this was after me taking um, a foundation, like a basic acting and a level one acting. So I probably had, you know, eight, 12, 16 weeks of getting out of my comfort zone before I had to walk in, stand in the middle of the circle and act out something. And yeah, I did it. Right. And um, anyway, I went, went on and um, we formed a troupe. I performed professionally um, week after uh, week. We had these wonderful like monthly gigs in um, Barnes and Nobles and then other gigs. But what I loved about them was it kept us family friendly. You know, we never yeah. had to cross any language. It was just it was really just a good time. Um, but anyway, I felt the transformation in myself and um, and I, you know, I just, I felt freer, you know, not just playing the game, not just when you're in that zone, but it started to carry over into other parts of my life personally and professionally. I mean, I was, I was speaking up more for myself or, or quicker, or I just felt more confident or there's so many different lessons that you learn while doing improv, you know, and one of them is, you know, you survive. There's a resilience you learn because you learn to trust yourself that even if you're going to be in a situation that's brand new and uncomfortable, you know, like a radio interview <laughs> um, to someone who's not like a extrovert, you know, has some anxiety. <laughs> um, you learn that if you're present and you breathe and you, you listen, you accept and you move forward. And improv was just phenomenal training in that. And I found myself taking that into other parts of my life. And being a classroom teacher, I love to teach, right? I want to create this wonderful experience. And for someone who, and you know, I, I don't usually ever get personal, but um, I feel for those who have anxiety and those who are not extroverts. And I, 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 I you know, like, I'll just go back to the, the show um, I do right now is so often that, um, you know, like, oh, they don't want to do it. They're dying inside to do it. They want to participate. That's a shell of anxiety that is blocking what they want to do. We have to create the environment for them to feel comfortable to come out. And do you remember a scene, and it just, just came to my mind, from one of my favorite movies of all time, Robin Williams' Dead Poets Society. He's a teacher. Yeah. All boys school. And there's that one shy boy. I think it's Ethan Hawke, if I remember right. I'm not for sure if that's the actor's name or not. And he ended up getting bright with him. And he just kept pushing him until he broke loose. And it changed his entire. He knew he had it in him. Yeah. And, he, and even for that shy 
young man or young lady because standing in front of people and speaking can yeah. be the most horrific <laughs> fear of a lot of people. It's in the top right. two or three. Oh, yeah. Uh, does this safe environment that you create doing this improv in classes or in groups or wherever, does that, because it's safe, do you see an immediate uh, wall starting to crumble? That hey, wait, I, I, I want to be involved in the next game. Uh, it's it's the yes and that takes the wall down. So I don't ever have to push and push and push and go, and you got to just break through it and be free. Um, you let the yes and do the work. You let them focus on the other person. Um, because, you know, I, oh, I have so many directions well, I could go in. It's so frustrating. Well, well, what's, what's the other phrase if we don't use yes and? We say no. And we say no so many different ways. We deny, we block, we shut, we shut ideas down. And the thing to remember is you're not shutting down ideas, you're shutting down a person. And I'm not oh. saying you never say no to someone or you know, it's taking right. that moment to understand. Okay. But the, the, the yes, but is, is a, a huge turn down, right? Yep. It's very condescending. Yeah. But so there's no outright yes, but. There's yes, which some people get so caught up in the positive affirmation of yes. But we have all been in plenty of professional and personal relationships where someone says yes to you and they're not listening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? It's not necessarily a safe, secure way. Like, or we work with that person, right? You meet that person who, you know, is like, Yes. I love, yes. Oh, you're wonderful. Yes. And then you realize they do nothing. They offer you nothing. They're just making you feel good for a moment. And they, they never, they never follow through, do they? Right. We've met those people. We feel warm and fuzzy and energized by them, but then it's like a drop off a cliff because they don't offer you anything. Right. So then you can have, that's yes with no and. And with no yes, that's not only that, how invalidating, how subtly invalidating is not only that, because they're taking your idea, they're building off it, but they're never validating you. So you mm. get no affirmation. And it's so subtle. And I've had so many relationships around me where I was like, I always felt invalidated. I didn't like those relationships. I didn't ended up not liking those people. And then it dawned on me what was going on. Now, are they doing it on purpose or is it a, a, um, just a habit? Because a lot of times people get in. Oh, I was at, I, don't, I think I told you the story. I was at a medical school, right? And uh, we were teaching doctors to use yes and. And um, the medical director said to the doctors, what do we say to patients? And they all said, yes, but. And then the lawyer for the school stood up and said, we say no. So a lot of times it's just a habit of how we communicate. But if we can get that awareness of the words we choose and how powerful they are, then we can really and truly transform relationships by taking that moment and yes, ending, meaning be present and take that moment to understand. Yeah. Does that automatically pour a layer of pavement 
on that communication road of trauma-informed because you use that a lot in your book. And, you know, when you, yes, and, you're assuming and acknowledging you have your own baggage issues and I'm acknowledging. Yeah. Is that where the trauma-informed work comes into this or is it in a different way? Well, within, if you're focusing on yes, and, right, we're creating that supportive environment, right? We're creating supportive, trustful interaction. We are reciprocating that we are practicing that reciprocal gratitude back and forth as well and validating each other. And then, you know, you can add that layer of we're still autonomous. We still have fun. So, and I know I'm missing some of the words right now that creates a trauma-informed relationship, but I see people in institutions, especially schools, and they throw around trauma-informed like it's happening just because they hired a counselor. And it's like, it needs to happen in like every communication, you know, in the classroom, take a couple of moments and with an improv game, help those kids. You don't know what their trauma is. No one's asking you. It's unrealistic. It could have happened 20 seconds ago, 20 minutes ago, or, you know, five years ago, who knows? And who knows what impact it is. But if you have a tool that you can use either as yes and or using yes and with an improv that can help get their brain online, that can help activate their prefrontal so they're at their best, now you can teach them. Now you can engage in therapy. Okay, I was just getting ready to say, can I actually use this in counseling, in Mm -hmm. my counseling sessions? And in what, without going into deep detail, but how would you apply this yes and if we were if we want to do a counseling game or whatever uh how how would if you're the counselor and i'm the the one that's being hurt and i'm there and i said yeah i you know doctor uh i've been abused as a child uh how would you respond to that in that counseling type of situation or is it even applicable well i think two things um, you can use yes and, and I think therapists are pretty trained, you know, to unconditionally accept and and add. So it's a really nice fit when you understand what we're doing with improv, right? Um, and if you remind me, I'll go down that road. I'm just trying to stay on one road. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Roads are hard sometimes for me. Lots of little bunny holes. Um, <laughs> But to take an improv game, so one thing, I'm going, the research, the one thing I didn't talk about was one of the third things we found was it activates our sensory motor system, okay? Things get online. We get, our brain connects, but we also get connected with the rest of our body as well. And um, students who had a history of physical or sexual abuse actually gravitated to the improv games where they could move. Okay, so a lot of times we would we had no physical contact. Okay, but there were games that involved miming, um, you know, either with another person and by themselves. And because improv created such safety, these students felt safe enough to now reconnect 
with their whole self, with their body through those games. Now, going back to your question, as a therapist, um, as a teacher, as a parent, if you wanted to use improv, you can literally, these games are 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, do a game at the beginning of a session. And oh, so I had a student one time, I asked her, what's, you know, how's improv doing? How you doing with it? What do you feel like? And she goes, it feels like swimming. I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, therapy feels like track. You have to go through the ugly. You know, you're running, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're out of breath. Sometimes you fall, you get skinned up. Now you're crying. That's the ugly. That's therapy. Improv, you just jump in the pool. You're swimming, you're smiling, you're laughing, you're there. So she described instead of having to tear from that fear-based brain and get online through all the agony of perhaps having to talk through stuff and coming up with words, within the moment of playing a game, they were online and able to start their session. In a pleasant, non-threatening, safe, I'm in the pool, doing the the backstroke, and it feels good. I'm connected, I'm laughing, and now, now my brain's online. Now I can do the hard work, whether it's in a clinical session or in a classroom or just having a relationship with someone who maybe struggles with connecting. They're online. I would, I would take students who were very acute and I would take them into the community with these community jams and they were phenomenal. I'd meet their parents and say, you know, thanks so much. It's such a privilege to work with your child. And these are parents that were struggling to have relationships with their teens. And they were just, and I'm like, their, their brains are online. They're at their best. It just, it just takes a moment. And like, I loved how you were talking about the little steps, take a little step. All right. Um, to turn around and look at improv, like, oh my goodness, whose line is it anyway? They were the best thing and the worst thing for improv because the best thing, everyone knows about it. The worst thing, it's intimidated and scared everyone to death because they think it's that. And it's, it, you know, um, I think at the conference we met at, I had said um, during uh, an interview there, the Super Bowl had just finished. And I said, you know, millions of people just watched two very talented quarterbacks. Okay. Were they so intimidated? They have, you know, they chose to never throw a ball with their kid because they're not an NFL Super Bowl quarterback. I mean, it's ludicrous. All right. So with improv, if improv is showing, if improv is accepting and then showing you value someone, how is that not for everyone, you know? And what you can do is really simply one, just start becoming aware of yes and. Just listen to how you and people around you rely, uh, reply to each other. It's hard. It really is harder than you think because we get into other patterns and we're so busy in our own head and we're always listening to respond to someone that it's really hard to be present and listen. Okay. So just listen for it. You know, the, uh, the, the, book, the book that I read uh, was the one rule improv. Yeah. Uh, great. 
would, for instance, if I happen to be um, a manager of a team of 15 people and I'm looking for a icebreaker at my next training or business meeting uh, that normally starts all very dry and donuts that's bad and coffee that's, that's strong, if I get this book that you have so beautifully laid out at the last section, game after game after game after game, exactly how to do it, would that be a neat team building exercise uh, after you, the person read it or saying, hey, we're going to open up with this, yes, and, and by the way, let me explain this to the importance of this before we do it. Would that be a good way to break the ice as an icebreaker? It would be phenomenal. Um, it, it, it works great. I hate using icebreaker because improv right. is so powerful. Um, yeah. But yeah, and what's nice is if if you do it, um, if you facilitate it in a trauma-informed way, and if you focus on yes and, then you're helping them all get online. You're helping them get into a better place to start your meeting. It's not a willy-nilly icebreaker where your introverts are going to just die and can't wait till it's over. Um, I was at a conference one time and they did 45 minutes of icebreakers. And at the end of it, probably about a third of the people were missing. Yeah. The woman got on stage and said, well, looks like the uh, introverts left. And I'm like, everyone laughed. And I'm like, it's not funny. Yeah, how, you're right. how could you be that obtuse? That you just lost between 30 to 40% of your population and you think it's funny. Yeah. You know, yeah. be aware. Um, we only have a couple minutes before we have to go, believe it or not, the hour is gone. But uh, I, mean, I I did read a part uh, of the book that, that interests me. I immediately get my notepad and started writing down because most of the time triggers are bad. I noticed that you came up with the phrase that improv triggers flow. Yeah. What, what's the difference? If we only have a, a minute or so. What? What's the? That's in chapter four. Okay, so flow, right? The neural, um, you know, it's the medial prefrontal. You feel feel your best, perform your best. You're at your best, right? So we want to trigger flow, right? And improv ends up. Actually, I think um, I think it was Stephen Kotler and then Stephen Sawyer had identified, I think it's 17 or 21 triggers of flow and improv hits most of them. OK. And the one which is really interesting, because a lot of times you'll ask people when they do improv and they're like, I felt a little on the spot. Like I said, and it's just enough uncertainty to trigger flow. You need to trigger that. You need that little bit of social threat to get to be your best. I had an acting teacher one time and any professional athlete, any professional performer, they are nervous before they go on for the rest of their life. And that is good. That is natural because it means they're aware and they're going to biologically shift to be at their best. So this idea of like, I shouldn't be nervous. That's wrong. I mean, you shouldn't be nervous to the point you're paralyzed. And what I have been passionate about is being has been to create in a very accessible way to do improv to to make it accessible to people so it wasn't triggering in a bad way that you got to be at your best you know fantastic mary thank you for being with us tonight i wish we had another uh, hour to talk do you have the copy of your books that you can hold up oh sure um Uh, just one rule improv 
And that's the one that I read and I highly recommend it that has the games in it. And then the other is Improvident. Uh, Yay. And, yeah, um, I don't know what to write. Yeah. And um, I have a website, which is one rule improv, O-N-E rule improv.com. Um, if you have questions, you want to stay in touch, sign up to the newsletter so I can, you know, give you some stuff and et cetera. Fantastic. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook and um, you can find me on LinkedIn under my name. And there's a way to connect with you on your website, right? If on I'm, my website. So absolutely. You directly and have you come to their school or organization and do you do that, right? All around the country. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. Mary, yes. thank you for swinging by while I was sitting there just, I think, eating potato chips and a soda. And you came over and said, let's talk. And I appreciate that so much. And thanks for being with us tonight. Well, I appreciate you, Greg, and just looking up and being open and inviting to like, hey, that was great. I, I loved it. And thanks for being with us. If you ever want to come back, come back and everybody get that one uh, rule improv. That's oh, I'd love good, to. We have more games to play. Game. We didn't get to the other games. Yeah, I would love to do some more. We'll have right. to do that next time. Thank you, Mary. Right. Appreciate Bye-bye. you being with us. Thank you. As you we too. do every week uh, at the end of the program, I always like, you to, like to let you know and just to kind of remind you. And you can lean into the the camera right now if you want to, just to make sure you catch this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, there's hope. There's always hope. And implement, add in, when somebody comes up with an idea to you tomorrow at the office, yeah, and acknowledge them recognize them, validate them because they are a masterpiece standing right in front of you and they're worthy of being heard just as you are. Thank you so much for being with us. Join us right here uh, next week for another live edition of Breaking the Silence from the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome Easter week and we'll see you on Easter night next week. God bless. Bye. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.